Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And as we start the fall, lots of different things going on. If you're uh, fairly new to Hannaford, uh, we have a goal of reaching and encouraging and loving our neighborhood, our community, and our world. And uh, so a couple things that we do as part of that, you uh, just heard about. We have our trunk or treat and encourage you to consider how you can help with that. Also, we have shoe boxes with Samaritan's Ministries, uh, and we have done that for, for many years. And last year, I think we had 115 boxes. It'd be great if we uh, topped 125 this year. And so we reach our community, we reach our world, one other thing that I uh, want to encourage you that through the month of October, and again, if you're newer to Hannaford, you may not be familiar with this, but we try to, to reach out and work with our neighborhood school. And for us, the neighborhood elementary school is Bryan Elementary. And so we try to do one or two different projects each year and we connect with the school to, to see some different things that they need that we can show the love of Jesus uh, for. And uh, they have asked us this year to help with a clothing drive and also with uh, snacks for their classrooms. And so there's information out in the foyer about that. You can also just give a, a monetary gift if you would rather, and uh, information about how you would do that uh, is out at, as you enter the auditorium there in the back. And, and each of these three ways are ways that we can impact our world for Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you, as God has blessed you, to consider ways that you can help. And Tanzania... Another world emphasis that we have that, uh, we, that Linda Dorelia shared with last week, we raised almost $6,000, so they were able to uh, have money for the tank, the water tank for the copier, and they had three other projects that they were just like, well, we'd love to do those down the road, and we were able to cover the cost for those, and so we're so grateful, and Linda leaves Tuesday. And so we can be praying for her as she goes there and sets up for more teams to come. With COVID, a little bit of a, a delay, but we're excited to be back involved in, in that and seeing how God can use that in the nation of Tanzania. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before you, you are an almighty God. And we are so grateful for your grace as we have been singing about the forgiveness that you have given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. This morning, as we're challenged in our relationships with one another, I pray that you would help us to have that attitude of grace and forgiveness toward those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking and challenging you to consider one another. Now there's a couple things that are required to consider one another. You need to have a relationship with one another, and we're called to do that. And it's easy sort of to seclude yourself, to isolate. And I think what's happened with COVID and social media has even made that greater. But we're called to connect with one another. 
Where as we worship God, we're, we're called to reach out to encourage one another. As we looked at last week, the challenge to love one another. To, in, to encourage and serve one another. And this morning, the challenge to forgive one another. Ephesians chapter 4. One of the most difficult things that we're called to do is to forgive. It is not natural. But it's what we're called to do as followers of God. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul shares a list of what we're to put off and what we're to put on. It's sort of pictured as, as like clothes. We, we put off this outfit and, and put on that outfit. And so he challenges us, since we're a new creation in Christ, since we're to be different because of our relationship with God, what does that look like? And it involves things that we put off from our life, but also things that we put on. So that's what he's covering here in Ephesians chapter 4. And, and we're going to look, focus on verses 31 and 32, but we're going to read verses 25 through 32, seeing some of the things on this list of what we're to put off and what we're to put on. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25, says this, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. One another. The relationship we're to have in the New Testament about 60 times, it talks about these aspects of one another in our relationship with the people around us, our relationship within the body of Christ, the relationships within our local church, the relationships within our community and around our world. And so here in Ephesians 4, he challenges us to be people known to forgive one another. But let's begin with a little bit of a background. What's taking place? What are some of the different things, these contrasts, that Paul is sharing, those things that we're to get rid of and those things that we're to be known for. He begins in verse 25 and tells us we're to put off lying and speak the truth. God is truth. And we're to be purveyors of that truth. We are to be known for our speaking the truth. We're to put off sinful anger and live in control. Paul says, be angry and don't sin. Now there's a couple aspects that he's talking about here in verses 26 and 27. The idea of righteous anger versus unrighteous anger. Now, I hate to tell you this, but we oftentimes in our unrighteous anger want to claim that it's righteous, don't we? And we claim it's righteous. We say, okay, well, they deserved that. And, and I had the right... To be, and instead of used angry, we use words like disappointed. But it's really anger that's controlling our actions. 
We oftentimes want to think that our anger is okay. But what is righteous anger? Scripture shares examples, instances when God was angry, when Christ was angry. Uh, one example when Jesus was angry, when he, when he overturned the tables there in the temple as those people were, were selling things and taking advantage of the people coming to give their sacrifices in the temple. In his book, Uprooting Anger, Robert Jones shares three criteria for righteous anger. All three of these are necessary for it to be considered righteous. So listen to these three. Righteous anger reacts against actual sin. Sin that's defined biblically. We oftentimes say, well, they hurt me, so I'm going to be angry. That's not righteous anger. Number two, righteous anger focuses on God and His kingdom rights and concerns, not on me, my kingdom rights and concerns. Number three, righteous anger is accompanied by other godly qualities and expresses itself in godly ways. Think about that one. I'm angry, so... I deserve to be angry. I think it's righteous anger. So how do I respond? How do I act? If I'm acting in an ungodly way, it's not based in righteous anger. We need to recognize that anger can control us and destroy our testimony, our opportunity to impact the world around us for God. If it's about me, I can be confident it's unrighteous anger. If it's about God and others, it may be righteous depending on how I act in response to what's taken place. James shares wisdom about the dangers of anger in, in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. says this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, Slow to speak, slow to wrath, or slow to anger. For the anger or wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. My anger does not produce God's righteousness. What is my goal in life to honor God in the way that I live? And my anger is not going to allow me to do that. Swift to hear. Think about the last time you were in an argument. When that person you're arguing with is talking, what are you doing? Usually it's you're planning your next sentence or statement. We need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then in verse 27, we're not to nurse a grudge. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't nurse a grudge. We allow anger just to control us. And as we'll find out here in verse 31, it becomes bitterness, which changes the character of our life. So we need to put off sinful anger and live in control. His next contrast found in verse 28, and excuse me, verse 28 is put off stealing, work hard. Instead of taking what does not belong to you, work hard to meet your needs. And not just that, but not just to meet your needs, but to be able to give to others. 
Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Now, if you notice there, that first he, there near the end, is capitalized. God will pay back what that person who gives to the poor has given. It doesn't mean if I give $100, God's going to bless me with 1000 No, that's not what it's talking about. But our life will be blessed when we consider others. And I love the picture there that we see Solomon give in Proverbs 19. The picture of lending to God. God who owns everything. But yet it's a picture of lending to Him. Using the resources that He's allowed us to be stewards of to help others. So we're to put off stealing, not take what doesn't belong to us, but rather to work hard to provide for our needs, but above and beyond that, even reach out to others who have needs. And then he goes on in verse 29, and he tells us to put off evil speaking and speak with grace. Our goal should be to lift others up, not to tear them down. Verse 29 reminds us, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. I remember what my mother told me. If you don't have anything good to say, your mother said the same thing to you. Or maybe my mother said it to you. She likes to say things to people. Yeah, you've heard that, right? But boy, I want to say something and I hope it's a stinger. If I, help, if I think that person has hurt me, I want to hurt them back. Our mouth can be used to glorify God, but it can also be used to destroy others. James 3 warns us about the power and the danger of the tongue. and talks about pictures, it's like a, a rudder of a ship that directs the whole ship. Our, our tongue can direct our life. It talks about how it's a spark that can start a fire. But then James goes on in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3, and he says, No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth produce blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. How are we using our tongue? Are we using it to lift up and encourage the people around us? Or are we using it to harm and destroy? And then he goes on in verse 30, and he tells us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And really, verse 30 could be considered the central thought of this whole list. Those things that we do that we're to put off, those things that make God sad. Paul reminds us not to do anything that hurts God, lying, stealing, anger, unkind words, bitterness, as well as other disobedience, grieves the Holy Spirit. Are our actions and character traits creating sadness in God? And then we get to verses 31 and 32, the, the main focus of our message this morning. The contrast between bitterness and and forgiveness. Forgive one another. Verse 31 reminds us, don't be bitter. 
Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness is a smoldering resentment. And oftentimes that bitterness will lead to actions. The actions of anger, of wrath, of, of slandering one another. Hebrews 12.15 shares the danger and the destruction of bitterness. The author of Hebrews says, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Our bitterness destroys many people. And the attitude of bitterness will result in the actions that Paul goes on and shares here in verse 31. It will destroy our relationships with others. And he talks about wrath, which is a wild rage. Anger, or internal smoldering. Clamor, public outbursts, loss of control, and slander, ongoing defamation of someone rising from bitterness. Through these, our goal is to destroy that person. And then the, the final one is malice or evil. Malice can be seen as a general term for evil actions. It's the intention to do harm. So that wrath, that anger, that clamor or outburst, the slander, Destroying the other person is all part of malice which takes place when we have a bitter attitude. And so Paul is saying, listen, put that off. You shouldn't be known for that. Think about it if you work around the workplace to the people around you say, oh boy, I hope he's not angry. You won't like him when he's angry. Or that person always seems to stretch the truth. Or, they're always talking bad about people. That's not what we're to be known for. And so, he goes on in verse 32 and he reminds us to forgive. We're to replace the natural wicked attitudes, the natural wicked actions of verse 31 with the godly attitudes and actions of verse 32. Verse 32 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So he says that we're to be kind or tenderhearted or compassionate. Kindness is I'm concerned with the other person's good. Compassionate, tenderhearted means that I'm empathetic. I see their needs. My heart goes out to them, and not just, oh, I feel for them, but I act upon those feelings. And those attitudes lead to forgiveness. Now, as we look at forgiveness, again, recognize it's not natural. My response when someone hurts me is not to forgive. My response is to get back. If they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them. They deserve it. I'm going to teach them a lesson. I'm going to defend myself. Now, we're going to start with some myths about forgiveness. So these things are, are attitudes and statements we might want to use, but really they're incorrect. So let's look at a few of these myths we're only going to look at a few. I'm sure there's more that you can come up with. But, but what are some myths of forgiveness? First of all, forgiveness is based on emotion. 
We say, I can't forgive because I don't feel like it. We think that our forgiveness is not real if we still feel hurt. If you don't forgive until you feel like it, you won't forgive. Your spouse says something or does something, you don't naturally say, oh boy, thank you so much for doing that. No, our natural response is, that hurt me. What am I going to do to get back? Forgiveness is a decision of the will. I choose to forgive. And the emotions may come later. So forgiveness is not based on our emotion. The second myth, forgiveness is based upon merit. We don't want to forgive because they don't deserve our forgiveness. How can I forgive them? They did that intentionally. They made me look foolish in front of the whole workplace. Or they said those unkind words. Or they acted in that unkind manner. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Guess what? You're right. But forgiveness is not based upon what they deserve. Forgiveness is based upon my relationship with God and the grace that He calls for me to share with the people around me. Think about the word itself. Forgive. You notice the, if you just take the word forgive, the last part of that word, give. I'm giving something they don't deserve. Forgiveness is a gift to the person that has hurt me. And I need to be willing to forgive. It's not based upon what they deserve, their merit. Instead, it's based upon my relationship with God and the grace that He has shown to me and that same grace that I am to show to others. Another myth. Forgiveness is based upon repentance. And I sort of combine two here. One is, we say, well, they didn't ask for it. How can I forgive the person? They didn't come groveling to me and say they were sorry. Please forgive them. And the second part of it is, I haven't seen change in their life. I mean, what is repentance? If you look at the word repentance, it's the idea of changing direction. They aren't changing direction. They're the same rotten person that they were when they did that thing to hurt me. And so, I don't see any repentance. They've never asked for forgiveness. They're not living differently, so I am not going to forgive them. We need to recognize that our forgiveness is not based upon their changes, but rather upon our grace. If you remember, we've shared, I'm sure many times, a simple definition of grace. Unmerited favor. And that's the foundation of forgiveness. So we see it's not based upon repentance. And another myth, forgiveness removes justice. We don't want to forgive because we're afraid that they will not learn their lesson if we let them off the hook. 
And we've all had those thoughts, just as with all the other myths. You know, if I forgive them, they won't learn from their mistake. But a couple things. We must forgive. And forgiveness doesn't negate the consequences of their action. And a second thing. Even though our goal is to rebuild that relationship, we must understand that to forgive does not mean that we automatically invite them back into the center of our life. Now hopefully, over time, that relationship is, will be restored. But I'm called to forgive no matter where they are in their changing of their life and the relationship that we have. And again, you can come up with more myths of forgiveness. Those are just a few. But we have to ask ourselves the question, why forgive? I mean, it doesn't come naturally. When my wife says something or does something that hurts me, I don't naturally want to forgive her. So why should I? Well, first reason why should answer it all. We'll give a couple more reasons. But first, God commands us to forgive. That should be the end of the discussion, right? God says. We read it right there in Ephesians 4.32. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. The command of God. Remember the Lord's Prayer? We, we know it more properly really as the example prayer the disciples said lord teach us to pray matthew 6 is one of the times where it shares the lord's prayer and and if you've grown up in a church you may be able to quote the lord's prayer and it has some very powerful statements but catch that statement right in the middle of it in verse 12 of matthew 6 forgive us our debts as we forgive us our debtors forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us different ways to say it What's that talking about? God, please forgive me as I forgive the people around me. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives a parable. And in this parable, we see that that there's a a master and and one of the servants owes him, which in today's economy would be worth millions and millions of dollars. There's no possible way that this servant is ever going to be able to repay the master. And so the master calls the debt. The servant comes and pleads for the master's forgiveness. And the master forgives the debt. But that same servant goes out that day and sees another servant who owes him just a very small amount of money but doesn't have him with him, doesn't have the money with him. And so that first servant puts the second servant in debtor's prison because he couldn't pay off that small debt. And you get the picture of what Jesus is saying. Look at the story of what God has forgiven in our lives. How foolish is it to think that we shouldn't forgive the offenses of those who have hurt us? And you say, but John, it really 
or sure did and does. But guess what? Jesus Christ forgave us to the extent that He came to this earth to die on a cross for those things that I have done. The ultimate forgiveness that I can never come close to forgiving others to that extent. But yet He forgave me. God commands us to forgive. Secondly, we represent God well when we forgive. In Matthew 5, again the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking and He says this, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now Jesus is speaking about loving our enemies in that passage, in that context. I understand that. But guess what part of that action of loving my enemies involves? It involves forgiving the things that have made them my enemy. And when I do that, then I will be that son of my Father in heaven. What's Jesus saying? We represent our family well. I love the quote from Lewis Smedes. It says, when we forgive, we walk in stride with the forgiving God. You ever have someone that that comes up to you and says, you look just like your dad or mom or whoever it is, someone that, that family resemblance We're to have that family resemblance with our Heavenly Father if we're a follower of Him in the way that we forgive. Do people say to you, you remind me of Jesus. Now, we all understand that we are sinners. We struggle with sin each and every day. But as followers of Christ, being more like Christ every day, we should resemble Him. And if we don't forgive, we won't resemble Christ. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And then, forgiveness brings freedom. Again, Lewis Smedes, written quite a bit on forgiveness, says this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Many people are trapped in unforgiveness. And because they're unwilling to forgive, they're consumed with bitterness, and that bitterness affects all their relationships. It affects the relationships with people who aren't even involved in the situation which made them bitter. We're controlled by that bitterness, by that lack of forgiveness, and it destroys our whole life. And you know, I say the funny thing, it's not very funny, Oftentimes, that person that we're angry with, that we're bitter about, has no clue. They're just going on their merry way, living their happy life, and our life is consumed because we're unwilling to forgive. And forgiving can also free the one being forgiven. 
you remember the, the book, and you may know it more for the movie, and I'm horrible with French, but Les Miserables, you remember that? And you say the B at the end, or Les Miserables is how it really looks. But anyway, you remember the story? What was his name? Jean Valjean, I think, wasn't that the guy's name? And, and it, the story begins, he's, he's going, and this bishop takes him into his house. And he's, you know, a criminal. And, but instead of showing appreciation, gratefulness for what the bishop does, what does he do? Okay, I'm not the only person that's ever... What? He steals. He takes the silver. Well, the police catch him. Bring him back to the bishop's house. And you remember the bishop's response when, when they bring him and say, this man has your silver. Do you remember what the bishop said? Okay, you guys have a homework assignment this week. He says, oh, you have the silver, but why didn't you take the candlesticks too? Uh, come on, somebody's read that book or watched that movie. Right? He says, oh, and so the, I mean, the, the, the authorities were floored thinking they had caught a criminal, but the bishop is acting like he, wasn't, he didn't take everything he was supposed to be taking. It was a gift. Well, there was a gift involved. You know what the gift was? Forgiveness. And guess what happened? It changed his life. Now, there's a little hard part with that, though, too. It's because we're like, <laughs> I don't want that person to have a changed life. I want them to feel miserable. But yet, that's not what we're called to do. And that bishop showed amazing grace as he forgave a man who, when the bishop showed him love and compassion, responded by stealing. But yet, the bishop was free in the sense that he was able just to forgive and that grace allowed freedom in his life, but also the man he forgave was given freedom. And that should be our goal. So how can I forgive? In Lewis Smedes, shares three stages of forgiveness. First of all, and I, and I struggled with this one for a long time, but the more I think about it, the more I understand it. Number one is re we rediscover the humanity of the person who wronged us. They're a real person. They have struggles just like us. They have needs just like us. And when I begin to think of them in that sense, rather than that dirty, rotten person who did that horrible thing to me, then my heart and life is open to forgiveness. And then we surrender our right to get even. Romans 12.19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says me. No, says the Lord. And a couple things about that. First of all, I need to say, God, it's you're in your control. And every once in a while, I can get angry at someone who doesn't deserve it. 
Because in my humanity and in my inability to see the whole situation, I may get it wrong. God will never get it wrong. And even if I have it right, it's His job to deal with it. What a great example David was. The people who had mistreated him, and yet he said, and he struggled with it, but he was able to say, all right, God, you deal with them. Help me to live a godly life. That's what we're called to do, to do the same thing. And then third, we wish that person well. <laughs> now, we must pray for them before we feel like it. And, and by the way, have you ever tried to pray for someone that you're angry with? First of all, it's hard. But second of all, as I pray for that person, my heart softens. And we're called to do that. We need to wish that person well. And we can know that we've fulfilled all three of those stages when we can happily and genuinely, genuinely pray for their blessing. Lord, help them to have a great day today. Lord, maybe I know what they're struggling with. Maybe I don't. But I can still pray that God will will help them in those struggles, that God will walk with them. God will encourage them and bless them. Now I pray that, and probably for a while I don't really have a lot of strong emotional power in that prayer. That's okay. Because over time, as I allow that will choice, Improper English, but you get the idea. Choice of the will, there we go. As I get that choice of the will to forgive, my emotions will follow. I like to close with a, with a quote I came across, and I wasn't able to find out who gave the quote, but uh, it, it really fits. And so I, I'm actually going to have it on the screen. I'm going to read it here about forgiveness. The moment a man wrongs me, I must forgive him. Only then will my soul be free. If I hold the wrong against him, I sin and jeopardize my own forgiveness with God. Whether the man repents and asks for my forgiveness or not makes no difference. I have forgiven him. Now he must deal with God over the wrong he has done, but that is between him and God. Whether he reconciles with God or not is irrelevant to this one truth, I must forgive the man. As we pray, there may be someone in your life that you have not forgiven. It may be recent, it may be from decades ago. But with that lack of forgiveness comes a destroyed relationship. And the only way to restore that relationship is to forgive. And even if that person doesn't choose change, my lack of forgiveness affects another relationship, and that's my relationship with God. The most important relationship that I can ever have. So as I close in prayer, I want you to silently pray, and maybe there's someone that you need to forgive right now. Maybe there's someone that you need to ask forgiveness okay to do that too <laughs> but just pray with me and as we pray ask God to give you the courage 
and power to forgive. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I am sure that every single person in this room has been hurt many, many times. But Lord, help us to respond with forgiveness. And Lord, for each one of us, if there are people in our lives that we have not forgiven, Lord, help us to represent you well and to follow your command by forgiving one another. Lord, give us the grace and the strength to do that. And we will give you the glory for what you will do in our lives and in the lives of those that we forgive or that we ask for forgiveness from. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.